want to encourage you, if you have your Bible, I'm going to begin this morning in the passage that we have for this morning, which is in Luke chapter 9. It is Transfiguration Sunday. I'm going to begin in verse 28, and I'll be reading through verse 43, about midway. Some eight days after these sayings, and the sayings specifically are of Jesus saying, take up your cross, follow me. He took Peter, James, and John and went up on a mountain to pray, and while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different, and his clothing became white and gleaming, and behold, two men were were talking with him. They were Moses and Elijah, who, appearing in glory, were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, Peter and his companions had been overcome with sleep, but when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. And these were leaving him, and Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make a three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not realizing what he was saying. While he was saying this, a cloud formed and began to overshadow them, and they were afraid. As they entered the cloud, then a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice is spoken, Jesus was found alone, and no one, excuse me, and, and they kept silent and reported to no one in those days any of the things which they had seen. On the next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large uh, crowd met them, and a man from the crowd shouted, saying, Teacher, I beg you, look at my son, for he is my only boy, and my and a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams and throws him into convulsion, foaming at the mouth, and, and only with difficulty does it leave him, mauling him as it leaves. I begged your disciples to cast it out, and they could not. And Jesus answered and said, You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long will I be with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. While he was still approaching, the demon slammed him to the ground and threw him into a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. But while everyone was marveling at what he was doing, he went on to say these things to his disciples. So, Lord, we ask you for grace that we would hear fully what you would like to speak to us today God, we pray this in faith, in agreement, and in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Um, Transfiguration Sunday, March of 2013. Um, history was made. Now, I, I before I go into any of this, I want to make this abundantly clear that while I'm making a specific reference I am not making a specific endorsement about all the religious uh, trappings and mess of a religious system called the Catholic Church, okay? Everybody clear with what I just said, right? 
I'm, pastor's not giving some endorsement about Catholicism. Now, March of 2013 is when history is made because the first non-European was elected as a pope. His name is St. Francis. Um, and he, he came from Argentina. And from the moment that he took on his role, uh, papal observers, uh, it was just, it caused a stir. The first thing that happened um, that was, it's well documented, he refused to move into the papal uh, apartment. He said, I'm going to live with my brothers. That's where I've lived. I'm not moving. I, to my understanding, he remains there to this day. Um, he went on a, even a little bit farther. He said, I don't need to be driven around by a specific driver. And so to my understanding, at least in 2013, I don't know if he's still driving it, but it was a 1984 Opal that he drove himself from point A to point B, and he said, I'm quite fine. I'll keep driving my old car. Now, interestingly, Denise and I had the privilege of being able to be in Rome in 2013. We were on a, uh, a cruise together. We had like one day that we were in Rome, and one of the first things out of the mouth of each tour guide, we had two different tour guides that day, one that took us around Rome, one that took us into the Vatican, and they were both just oozing with words of adoration. Right, babe? And, and the, the guy who drove us there, he's like, this man, he refuses the designer shoes that they told him to wear, unlike anything we've ever seen. And so, they, I mean, they're all speaking high. And the point was that he was... He was, he, he was a man of the people. And so we happened to arrive on a Wednesday. What we didn't know was that the Pope gives an audience in Vatican Square <laughs> on Wednesday, every Wednesday. And this dude at that point was bigger than a rock star. He was drawing crowds months after, after uh, taking on his role, still of two and 300,000 would come to Rome every Wednesday. I think that those audiences are still enormous. So, uh, I, you know, Denise, like the next, the next uh, tour guide that we had, she was thrilled to tell us about this man with just wonderful words uh, that she was trying to express in her English. But it wasn't until um, November 2013, November 6th, Time Magazine published a picture that they called the most beautiful photo. Now, I, I want you to, okay, this is a, let's move on a couple more shots down the way there. Because here's, here's what I want you to see. This is, this man's name, his name is Venezio Riva, and he suffers from a genetic um, disease that grows tumors all over his body. And on this date, November the 6th, 2013, the Pope is holding his weekly address in St. Peter's Square. Benicio Riva was there. And then, if you can we go on to the next one? This is what happened. And I'm just going to read what he, his own account, his own personal account of this, uh, of what happened. He said this. He said, I was there in the square and he said he, referring to the Pope, came down from the altar to, sit, to see the sick people. He embraced me without saying a word. I felt as though my heart was leaving my body. He was completely silent, but sometimes you can say more 
when you say nothing. First, I kissed his hand while the other hand, he caressed my, he, uh, my head and my wounds. He drew me to him in a strong embrace, kissing, his fa- kissing my face. My head against his chest and his arms were wrapped around me. It lasted just over a minute, but to me, it seemed like an eternity. The pontiff's hug, said Benicio, was like paradise. And he went on and added this. He said, he didn't even think about whether to hug me. I'm not contagious, but he didn't know that. He just did it. He caressed me all over my face, and as he did, I felt only love. Time magazine called it the most beautiful photo. A picture of beauty. See, beauty isn't about flawless perfection. Beauty that transcends, the kind of beauty that unveils something from another realm. The kind of beauty that reveals this is what love looks like, a moment when a man visibly disfigured by his humanity. And here's why this is so powerful. Because if we're honest, every one of us have been disfigured by our humanity, haven't we? Places that we have felt, oh, wait, let me just make something really clear. When I use the word beauty, you see, Genesis 1 uses this word in the Hebrew language. It says when God looked at all of created order, he said it was good, right? I'm, I'm giving the right ver- words, right? Everybody's familiar with this, very familiar. God looked at all of it, and he said it is good, right? That word means beautiful. What is good and beautiful? The very last words of Genesis 1, God looked at all of it after creating man and said, it's exceedingly very good, exceedingly beautiful. You see, all of us have felt distanced from that good and beauty that was given to us in creation. And here is a man that in a moment we watch him invited into an embrace that represents the transfiguring, transforming power of love. Beauty. You see, the truth is all of us have experienced those moments that we've been touched by a beauty that isn't about flawless perfection, but about something that's touched us deep. Whether it was in the eyes of a stranger, whether it was in creation, whether it was with our family, those moments, do you guys know what I'm talking about, that go beyond just the pause, but something that, and it hits us at the heart level. moment of um, caressing the flawless 
face of our son who was not breathing. And there aren't words to describe that moment. But it was transcendent. And months later for me, grieving the loss of our son and finding how how unable men and women were able to meet me and that loneliness that I felt and, you know, in a public role trying to grieve and being told things like, you shouldn't be talking about this, literally. And so in one particular moment, I think it was on an Easter Sunday, months later, there one of my other sons, who's now grown and you know him, that point he's just a toddler and he's literally jumping on the headstone of his brother. And he turns and he looks at his dad and he sees the sadness and the tears in my eyes and he looks and he said, Dad, he's okay. Beauty. I think one person says this kind of beauty is more than words that describe it. It's, it's usually named by our tears. When, when something so strikes us that it not only takes our breath away, but it awakens our heart, that goes beyond color and scenery, although it can include that, but it connects us to something that is transcendent and good and beautiful. It's called the heart of God and his love for us. In that moment, beloved, the good news that we proclaim on this Transfiguration Sunday in a world filled with the distortions of loss and sadness and violation, unprovoked pains, not to mention real fear about tomorrow. Into this world, the Son of God still comes. He still comes, beloved, and he embraces humanity in all of its disfigurations, and transforms us to what has been deformed to reveal the beauty and the goodness of the love of the Father. And that, beloved, is good news. See, if I were to ask, if I were to take a minute, I think all, all of you could say you probably had stories that you can identify what I'm trying to talk about when I talk about beauty or that incredible picture to me, it's, it was just, it's just so graphic. We all have those moments. And, and thank the Lord, those are the moments that, that awaken something in us and, and that our eyes have captured something that is good and that is beautiful. The unveiling of goodness and beauty. Peter, James, and John. In this story, directly following Jesus' instruction to his disciples, he said, you're going to go, if you want to follow me, you're going to take up your cross. He takes up on a mountainside. He begins to pray. They're trying to hang in there, and they're hanging in there. And Jesus, you know, he's just going into a very long prayer time, and, you know, their body's like done. And they're almost asleep. In fact, we seem, Luke seems to tell us that it's, it's James and John are pretty well gone. Peter's almost there. 
and something happens. They see something about Jesus. In, in the New American Standard, it says there's something different is the word that's used there. Now, I want, I, want, I want to point to something very clearly in this text because it's something that needs to be noted very clearly. They saw something that was always there. Did you hear me? They didn't see it before, but now they're seeing it. So that wasn't new. Their seeing it was new. And Luke doesn't really give us lots of, you know, explanation or speculation about how it happened. It's just that they went, oh, I'm seeing something different. Jesus, oh, face. And just, whoa, the normal way I've been seeing him, all of a sudden now I'm seeing something different. It's an unveiling of what was always present. The word glory, let me remind you again. Here's the definition of the word glory. The good opinion of God. The good opinion of the Father. Glory can be goose pimple moments. It can be incredible moments where we sense the heaviness of the presence of God. I know all of that from my Pentecostal background. Those are all things that are true. But glory, in its truest definition, is the good opinion of Dad. Peter, James, John. Jesus is doing what he normally does, and I'm trying to hang in there, and I, I need a nap. And they see something different. Glory that was always present. It was not new, but they're seeing it was new. Okay? So let's be really clear about it. So Luke says they become fully awake. Whew. Oh, my goodness. And it's, it's what happens when we encounter those moments, when we feel something transcendent. There, it was always there, but now their eyes are open. And Peter says something out loud, like Peter would. I think like many of us would. But watch this. And remember that word for, for good in Genesis 1? It says, God said, it's good. It's beautiful. Peter says, it's good that we're here. You know the word that he uses in Greek? means Beautiful. It's beautiful that we're here. And so watch. I want you to notice this next thing, that Peter locates the encounter of beauty to a location. This mountaintop. We went to church camp, and it was awesome. I went to a retreat, and God met me there. Let's build a tent. I want to stay right there. Denise and I have had kids that have said that to us at church camp. I don't want to go home. I know why some of that is said. But for many of them, it was that reality, this kind of reality. I sense something. Something happened here. Peter's just saying what he feels obvious. It must be here. It must be at this place. And while he's saying that, here comes a cloud. You know, the fog machine comes in. I'm kidding. It wasn't a fog machine. Cloud comes. 
And the one of three times that we hear this recorded by the gospel writers, one is at Jesus' baptism, the second one is here, and then the, earth, the other one is shortly before Jesus goes into the passion in which he's saying, oh, God, you know, glorify your son. And, and, you know, his father can't help it. He says, I have glorified it. You know, three different times they hear the audible voice of the father. This is the second time. Peter is just saying, watch, remember this. Beauty is here. Goodness is right here in a location. And dad says, let me locate it for you. The father locates beauty in a person, his son. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. It's always been there in him. Now listen. So you guys are following whatever I'm getting at, right? Peter's like, whoo, must be here. Jesus' father says, no, it's right there. It's right in front of you. It's in a person. So, disorienting moment. Peter, James, and John come down from church camp. They leave the weekend retreat. I've got a daughter on weekend retreat this weekend. I'm sure it'll be praying for her that it'll be an encounter kind of weekend. Okay? Got to come back down. And, you know, that, that word that we often will use, you know, you got to come back to the real world. Some folks, my wife and I, you know, we did church uh, or went to Bible school, and they used to joke that uh, some, some folks signed up to go to Bible college because they thought it would be church camp year-round. No, it's not like that at all. <laughs> you come down from the mountain. And you get to see all kinds of distortions. <laughs> and that's exactly what happens. Isn't it interesting that Luke records this transfiguration, beauty. Oh, my goodness. They come down. The very next day, what's the first thing that happens? From the Mount of Transfiguration, they come to a level ground. And then we learn later that, that the disciples encountered a boy disfigured by demonic spirits. Remember Peter, he said, that's good and beautiful, must be in a place. And as a result, they don't see the power of transfiguration in them, and certainly they don't locate it in the boy. Distorted and disfigured. I don't know what to do. Maybe we can go back up the mountain. And the boy's father points it out to Jesus. Hey, you know, your disciples. And Jesus' response, it almost sounds harsh, but I want to read this to you from the Passion Translation. Because Jesus' response is to speak not to the disfigurement of the boy, but to the distortion in the hearts of his followers. I'm going to read just part, part of, verse, of this verse out of the Passion Translation. It says, you twist your lies with lies that turn you away from doing the right things. Here's this loose translation from the Passion, meaning you're letting lies direct your heart. You're not able to see what's good and beautiful because you're still being led by what's not true. And I, I love a little bit later that the Passion Translation adds this into verse 42. It says, after healing the boy, and he turns to the father and says, 
here's your son, meaning this, Jesus never lost sight of the beauty of the boy, of seeing beauty in him. The very thing that he's chatting to Moses and Elijah about, that he's about to complete, isn't just the whole thing of, I'm going to get everybody's sin forgiven and deal with this big old debt problem they've got. But Jesus has his eye on this reality, transforming humanity from the distorted, disfigured place that they're in and transfiguring and restoring them as image bearers of the goodness and the beauty of God. That's the gospel. They're talking to Jesus about what he is about to accomplish is the unveiling of beauty. The psalmist put it this way in Psalm 50, verse 2. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty comes. God has come forth, and he'll not be silent. That perfection, that beauty is in the person of Jesus. Transfiguration, beloved, it's not about a day on the calendar. It's about the unveiling of the beauty of the goodness and the love of God revealed in Christ. So what's that mean? That means, number one, I'll repeat it again, transfiguration is not reserved for a date on our calendar, but a reality of the good news. That's good news. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we with unveiled faces reflect the glory of God are being transformed. Let me read again out of the, trans, the Passion Translation, just because I love the way it's worded. We can draw close to him, that's Jesus, with the veil removed from our faces, and with no veil we all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. We are being transfigured. Oh, wait a minute. You hear what Paul's saying? It's not reserved for Peter, James, and John to have a moment on a mountain. We, we are being transfigured into his very image as we move from one bright level of glory to another. And this glorious transfiguration comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. It's not a day on the calendar, beloved. It's not someplace on a mountain. It's not church camp. It's not a prayer summit gathering. It's, it's, it's in us. Denise has a little saying on a little wall hanging down. It's now located in our basement. It was given to her by a friend, but it's a quote by an author, John Eldridge. It says, there's a radiance hidden in you that the world desperately needs. That radiance, beloved, is a reflection of the beauty of God. That's why Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4 says, don't keep looking downward at the ground, but, but fix your eyes Above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of the, of, of the Father. Beloved, we're transfigured as we gaze upon what's good and beautiful becomes reflected in me. Beloved, transfiguration is not a date on the calendar. It's a reality of the good news. Two. Beauty is not in a location like on a mountain but it is everywhere if we'll look. Jesus comes down from the mountain. They look and they're like, that's different. That's amazing. And Jesus, when confronted with distortion and disfigurement, reveals what? The truth of who he is. 
So Jesus is able to see, and he looks at this boy who's all distorted, and he's still able to see beauty. So, beloved, I want you to see this. Even in the distortions and the disfigurations of man's failings and failures, there's still beauty to be seen. I, I will throw, I, I don't know if you have a moment, if you can throw this one, one picture up, because, again, it's just another, I believe it happened in the same year in 2013, the Pope went to, his home country of Argentina, and went into a juvenile detention center, and he washed the feet of juveniles and was witnessed as kissing their feet. Now, beloved, you might call that a PR moment, maybe, but that's a powerful moment. That one who is seen as supposed to supposedly representing God's himself is coming and washing the feet of the weak and the broken. I think there was something powerful in that moment that he's proclaiming there's beauty to see here. Beloved, what if, and it's interesting. I think I shared this with you guys that Denise and I had some of these. We've had some of these moments in our own journey, quite unprovoked, and they're really fun when they happen. But you know, there used to be a time in my life when I was like, uh, I, I wanted to stand for truth, and I wanted to strand, uh, stand for all the things that are true, and and then stand for things that are are right in our behavior. And so, if those, if if I was around people who you know, obviously thumbing their nose at God, I'm like, I don't want to be around that. I want to try to stay away from that. But what if, what if I don't have to fear the disfigurement and the distortions of someone else's humanity, but rather proclaim beauty in their life? I'm not, you know, what if I, what if I'm not worried about that? And you know what? I find that I'm, uh, if I could say it this way, I'm my best self. I'm the best representation of Jesus when my heart's settled right there. When we're able to look somebody in the eye and say, you know what, I, I believe God really loves you. <laughs> well, I don't want to talk about that. Look at, but he does. He really does. That's who he is. You know? What if I don't have to fear that? So, beloved, it's everywhere. And I want to see it. So here's, here's the third thing I want to say is this. I don't want to fall asleep. Here's the thing. I know that I've been like Peter, James, and John. Where I'm like, just going through this stuff. Day in, day out. Yep, normal stuff. And then there's this moment like, whoa. I want to be awake. I don't want to become sleepy, but I want to have an eye for beauty. I want to have a mouth for beauty that that is a mirror of, that, that proclaims God's heart to those around me. Goodness and beauty revealed in love expressed through forgiveness. Wait a minute, that's called the cross. That's exactly what Jesus was calling his disciples to in Luke 9. This is why I believe it was such a, you know, when he comes down off the mountain and he says, guys, guys, there's, I'm calling you to something completely different. Beloved, the good news that we are proclaiming today is that there is such a thing as the unveiling of the goodness and the beauty of God in a world filled with the distortion 
of loss and sadness, violations, unprovoked pain, not to mention real fear about tomorrow, into that world, the Son of God still comes to embrace humanity in all of its disfigurations and transforms what has been deformed to reveal the love of God and the, the, the beauty of the love of the Father. Amen? Amen and amen. Uh, I want to invite us this morning. The last couple of weeks, I know that we've, uh, we've used the um, prayer of St. Francis as we closed. And, um, man, oh, man, I just feel like it's a note. Uh, if you'll allow me to, I want to just use it again, okay, as we come to a close because it just feels incredibly fitting. So if, would you stand with me? And as we come to the close this morning, we're going to come to communion here in just a few moments. I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O oh, divine master, Grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in the giving that we receive, it is in the pardoning that we are pardoned, and it's in the dying that we are born to eternal life. Heavenly Father, who before the passion of the only begotten Son revealed the, your glory on that holy mountain, grant unto us that we beholding by faith the light of his countenance may be strengthened to bear our cross and be changed into his likeness from glory to glory through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. So, Lord, as we take of this communion together, 